0: Today's reading is Mark 827 to 38. It can be found on page 931 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Jesus and his disciples went on the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. "'Get behind me, Satan,' he said. "'You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns.'" Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, The Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The Word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray. Our God of grace, we sit in seats in this room this morning, uh, surrounded by artwork and. and other people, some that we know, some that we don't, and we sit with with a variety of experiences and hearts full of different emotions and different ex- different thoughts, different experiences, different journeys that we're on. And some of us sit here, and this is a raw time for us as we deal with things in life that are troubling that we didn't expect. Some of us have um, rays of hope finally coming in after a long period of darkness. Others of us have just entered into something that's beginning to feel like a desert and we're thirsty. Some of us come mad at you. Others of us come thankful for a sense of your, have your, our prayers answered. We're just not all on the same place in the same exact journey. And yet the truth is we're all more of a mess than we want the other people here to know. We hide it. We try to cover it up. And those close to us can begin to see a little bit of our, our worst side. But for the most part, it goes unnoticed. We're broken, we're a mess, and we wonder if we've done enough or if we can make our way into your good graces. Thank you so much, God, that your story that we rehearse and we revisit every week tells us that we don't need to do enough because you move towards messy lives, broken, failed individuals, and you create communities in a sense of, of misfits and mixed nuts and people who aren't perfect, you create a community, you call it your body, and then in the grace that you fill us up with, you expect and you hope and you empower actually to, for it to overflow into our neighbors' lives, our community, our friends' into the city, into the world. All over the world, communities like that have come together this morning to revisit the story. Join us as we do that here and teach us through your grace in a way that our lives might be changed. Amen. I think about City Life Church's history and probably the story I have to tell, I have to revisit is the bat story. Have you, anybody heard the bat story? Sorry if you have. Eric, you were there. You were there, right? Yeah? Um, So if you think about that, if you can picture where the co-op, the new co-op property is being built by about 27th and S or maybe 28th and S, there's this new cement concrete structure coming up and across the street from it is First Nazarene Church, First Church of the Nazarene Sacramento. And there's a little door that faces the new co-op structure right on the sidewalk, a, a glass door. And our first meetings that were, I think, twice a month, I'm not sure what our plan was at the time, but we had... A meeting every once in a while there, and you'd go through that side door and you'd go down some steps into a basement. And our first phase of drawing some people together involved meeting down there, having a meal, and um, doing some kind of worship or Bible study. And the very last meeting that we had there, um, suddenly as we were finishing up and we had had communion, and I remember I was holding the elements, I was holding the wine and the bread just to kind of take them to the kitchen or whatever. And suddenly there was some shrieking over on one side. There's some kids running around, and and I turn and there's this bat flying around in in the basement of this church as about I think 12 of us and a few kids um, kind of just freaked out and had no idea what to do. And some brave people, you know how there's always that person who's just like, I don't know I'm going to go in there, I'm going to get that bat, and I'm going to You know, there's always that like one person and everyone else is just freaking out. And so that one person went right over and like took care of the bat and got it out. And the rest of us were freaking. At one point, the bat flew right at me, and I jumped back, and the wine spilled on the carpet. And, I mean, it was like this omen of what what had happened was we'd gotten to this point where um, you can kind of see it clearly now is we had tried to start something, and it wasn't quite something that we could picture us inviting our friends to. It was something that you could... It was kind of good for those of us who were there. It kind of met our spiritual needs, but it was like, I can't see bringing along a friend, bringing along someone who's maybe skeptical, someone who doesn't believe this stuff. It was a little too intimate, a little too assumptive of what you believe. And so we halted that, and we transitioned for a while into just figuring out, well, what do we do? We started throwing parties. We started trying to network. I started focusing a lot of my time on meeting with people who didn't go to church and asking them a lot of questions about what they believed and what they thought and what people in Midtown believed and thought. And then so you know, maybe half a year, nine months later, we... We then, after a lot of that networking and just building a community, um, started to have services that looked a lot different and had a lot of what you hear now at City Life of, hey, everyone's in a different place and enter in in a way that's authentic to where you find yourself. In the in, in, And then it was history. Bam. You know, exploded. You know. So that's the history of City Life. Now, um, actually, somebody in that phase said to me once, and I didn't want it to be true, and I was kind of mad at them for saying it, they said... So this is like a prediction. He said, it's going to take a long time. <laughs> Mark, you know, he was telling me, Mark, just this is going to take a long time. Remember Tyson? Remember, yeah, this is going to take a long time, Mark. You know, don't don't get all like thinking this is going to be like, you know, in one year you're going to have 500 people and, you know, they're all going to be, you know, bowing down and worshiping you and, you know, all this kind of like e- <laughs> egotistical, you know, you're starting. i got to admit, you are know, some of that ego stuff and you're starting something, you think it's going to... Okay, so that's some of city life history, and that was a prediction I didn't like. Let's listen in on a few other predictions. Maybe you saw a couple of them in the worship guide. Some predictions that weren't quite right, that didn't quite land. Someone once said in 1876 in a Western Union internal memo, this quote-unquote telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Right? Prediction. 1977, uh, Ken Olson, president, chairman, and founder of Digital Equipment Corp. said, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. (laughs) Um, I I like this one. Um, A Yale University management professor, in response to Fred Smith's paper proposing reliable overnight delivery service, and Fred Smith went on to start FedEx, this is the quote. The concept is interesting and well-informed, and well-formed, but in order to earn better than a C, the idea must be feasible. <laughs> I don't have a date on that one, but... DECA Recording Company wrote this about the Beatles in 1962. We don't like their sound, and guitar music is on the way out. 1962. Um, and just one more going further back in history. Um, this, is, this is really the, really the clincher. In 1899, Charles H. Duell, commissioner of U.S. Office of Patents, said, everything that can be invented has been invented. Predictions, huh? Predictions. When Peter uh, rebukes Jesus for the prediction that Jesus makes about where his life's going to go, did you catch it there? Um, Let's see, yeah. So it goes, Jesus saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and the teachers of the law and then must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Somebody's outlook is faulty. Somebody's prediction is wrong. Jesus, Peter is saying that can't happen. Jesus is saying, I don't know if you noticed the language, two times, must. This must happen. That can't happen. That must happen. And in many ways, all of our own journeys, if you, if you choose to on-ramp onto this kind of journey with the Christian faith, all of our journeys of spiritual maturation are going to take you along that line from suffering, trials, difficulty, bar- you know, self-denial. I can't. That can't be right to, over here, must. That must be how it is. And so we're going to look at that a little bit uh, today. These, these two opposite outlooks. We are surrounded and we embody an outlook, an outlook that creates all kinds of bad predictions for how things are supposed to be and supposed to go. Um, and so, if you look at like the question of the week last week, let me grab a few of these. It was just awesome. This is what people said. You know, you think about again, can't, from can't to must. I said last week in the question of the week, to become a Christian is to go from blank to blank. I've never gotten this many answers to a question of the week. People said to go from 2D to 3D, from glim- uh, seeing glimpses of God to seeing the whole picture, to go from living my story to being a part of the cosmic gospel story. Someone said simply to go from thirst to satisfaction. To become a Christian, someone said, is to go from broken to broken but recognizing it and looking for grace. We have someone saying from striving to rest. Maybe some of you, that sounds really good this morning. Just How do you get there? To go from fear to love. And one of my personal favorites, to go from alienation to hospitality. I like the, that's the full end of the spectrum, not just alienation to acceptance, but all the way to hospitality. Bringing in the alienated. So there's a bunch of those answers. That's only some of them. I'll read more in a minute. Let's look at how this passage brings us from that can't to that must. And the first thing I want to point out is that the the gospel and the Christian faith draws you from insufficiency to sufficiency. In verse 31 and 32... What we just read, Jesus says, I must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that the Son of Man must be killed and after three days rise again. Okay. The cross, the suffering. The problem is is that Peter has, and and many of us, we have have no clue about the abundant resources that Jesus has access to. Everyone else looks at um, the prediction Jesus just made. Everyone else looks at the cross, suffering, what looks like failure, and they say, that will end me. Jesus looks at it, and Jesus is drawing from such reserves, such sufficient reserves, that it won't end him, that that is not the fear. And so he goes willingly to the cross because he's sufficient to endure it, And what is the Christian story? Jesus already hints at it right here. The resurrection is already in his prediction. The disciples, they don't even yet grasp. You could go into that. We often do on Easter what people actually thought when he said rise from the dead. They thought something totally different than what he did. So that one goes right over the head, but it's right there. Jesus is sufficient to make it not just to death as an end, but through it. And of course, Peter has seen... There were many failed anointed ones, many failed messiahs in his day. It involved attempting you know, political peace, political freedom, and they, many of them, all of them, ended in death, ended on a cross. So Peter is saying, this isn't how you start it. You don't start by predicting that it's going to end. He didn't know. He had no clue the resources Jesus was drawing from. And so what you have, God willingly going to the cross through Jesus, and he's sufficient to endure and rise from the dead. And the Christian faith tells you about something that is astonishing, that we have a God who utilizes his sufficiency to solve the problem of our insufficiency. We're walking around um, in sort of insufficiency mode, scarcity mode. Have you ever seen a little message from a bank um, Or when you swipe a card and it says insufficient funds, maybe at the ATM, insufficient funds. Yes, yes, I'll agree, that's insufficient. (laughs) I agree that my funds are insufficient. Um, Well said, Um, right? So most of us, we're living day in and day out towards the world, towards all, all the things that are around us and in our actions and responses as if we are in scarcity mode, as if the great message of our life is, I don't have enough. Insufficient funds. We act in the mode of scarcity. And there's this author um, named William uh, Vanstone. And he, write, he wrote this book called Love's Endeavor, Love's Expense. It's an out-of-print book. I don't know the date. I don't know when it was printed. And basically, in part of this book, it's a Christian book, and he's writing about love. And he writes about there's a, a real kind of love and there's a fake kind of love. And... Um, just follow me on this. So he, he talks about how the real kind of love is a love that is unconditional. It is unconditional, it is vulnerable. There's a fake kind of love, and that's the kind of love that is in some way conditional in, and is always in some way non-vulnerable. Fake love is non-vulnerable and non-condition, and, and is conditional, and it's so it's sort of like contingent and reciprocal. You You need something back. Even our best relationships at some point You're hoping and you're looking for a little bit of a return. So he explains this, how there's all these different loves. And and he basically says we can never, we are completely incapable of fully embodying the real authentic love. That vulnerable, unconditional love. And yet there's a problem because all of us are running around wanting it, needing it. Our hearts cry out for that love in our life that says, it's not contingent on what you bring to the table, your errors are not going to screw this up, and it's vulnerable. All, so you see the problem? All of us are running around needing this. None of us, at the same time, are able to completely do it and solve it for the other person. And so this is what he says. He says, "God's love is expanded I'm sorry, expended, in self-giving, wholly expended, without res- residue or reserve, drained, exhausted, spent." That is, in giving his son, he gave himself. Next, God's love is expended in in precarious endeavor, ever poised upon the brink of failure, for he gave his son to die, taking the risk of yielding up control over himself. Third, God's love is seen waiting in the end, helpless before that which it loves, for the response which shall be its tragedy or its triumph, for the response which shall be its tragedy or its triumph. For in giving his son to die for sinners, God made himself vulnerable to the possibility that they would snub him and turn away. What um, what Paul hasn't, or, or I'm sorry, what hasn't yet transformed Peter, not Paul, it's Peter in this story, what hasn't yet transformed Peter is the fact that when you become a Christian, you have a love that is never going to be dependent on your reciprocation. Real, pure love, it's always before you. It doesn't wait to be available until you've done enough to earn it. And it's never at risk of being lost or canceled canceled because your love in return is insufficient. And that's the starting point for a Christian. That's not a point you get to by a certain number of deeds. That's the starting point. That's the offer. That's what is in your life. That's what's given to you. Do you have that? Or are you still searching? Is a lot of your activity just and just exemplification of the fact that you're that you're trying to find something that you haven't yet found, that love, that unconditional, vulnerable love. That's what God gives to you through Jesus. And that's the starting point. So on the one hand, Peter doesn't know the sufficiency of Jesus to break through death into the empty tomb. We don't often live from or understand the sufficiency we've been given through what he's done. So we move from insufficiency to sufficiency, and that's what the gospel draws you to. Um, Let's look at one other. We move from self-elevation to self-denial. In verse 34, he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Absolutely terrifying thing to read. I mean, and if you haven't had that, if you haven't gone through that point in your head where you say, that is terrifying, then you haven't done business with what the gospel is all about and what the Christian faith is all about. That should be really terrifying to read. But let's, let's give a little, um, a little foundation to this. So first of all, Jesus, in Philippians um, chapter 2, this is what we read about Jesus and his self-denial. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Um, So that's... That's Jesus doing it first. If you look at, um, real close to that is a book called Colossians. And if you look at Colossians chapter 2.15, it says this. Very intriguing thing about what happens on the cross. Well, I got the reference wrong because that's not the right passage. Maybe it's. Well, there is a verse somewhere. <laughs> no, I think it is actually right. I just had the wrong page. There it is. Talks about Jesus uh, on the cross. It says, having, I'll, I'll go back a, berth, a verse, chapter 2, verse five, 14 of Colossians. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed, listen to this, disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus on the cross somehow defeats the, the evil powers that kind of stand behind everything in this world that create all the brokenness and mess. Somehow on the cross, he snapped it. He snapped their power. And he basically, here's how it goes. He had two choices. He could either elevate himself. He could do self-elevation like our, all, all of our natural pull is. And he could try to elevate himself and grab power or he, and take the throne. Or he could be crushed by the power, and by the thrones, and go to the cross. Two choices. You can either do self-elevation or self-denial. And we need to see that there's no way that, and Peter doesn't see this, there's no way that he could go the first route. There's no way that he could grab power by utilizing the tactics and the agendas and the toolbox of all the powers and authorities in this world. He couldn't defeat them by using their own means. He had the only way to defeat them, the only way to defeat the powers, the evil powers of this world, was to utterly suffer and to give himself completely. Does that make any sense? His mission is to defeat the world's powers and accomplish love's definitive victory in this world, the definitive victory of love. And he couldn't do it through the world's method. That would defeat the purpose. And so that, this gives insight into when, when um, Peter is rebuking him in this passage. Did you catch the harsh rebuke in reply? Get behind me, Satan? I mean, was Peter foaming at the mouth and had horns suddenly grew up out of his head? No, no. He, no. But he, see, this is, what Peter was doing was suddenly, well, let me put it this way. So behind all of the world's powers and authorities... They are employing the tactics and the agendas of self-elevation. It's natural for humanity. And so Peter is just stepping into the agenda unknowingly like we all do, unknowingly stepping into the agenda in the toolbox that is actually the realm of darkness, is the realm of Satan. Satan's army is very, very busy, but don't be naive and think that you're just going to spot it. Peter just kind of unknowingly out of the best intentions is, is embodying it, encouraging it, rebuking Jesus on behalf of it. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. See, Jesus. this is why Jesus says must. He must go to the cross because he's battling the dark, powerful, hidden authorities. And this isn't child's play. Nothing is going to be more powerful than self-denial. Nothing is more confusing and puzzling and mysterious to Satan than Jesus just allowing himself to go to the cross. Nothing confuses Satan more than that. A savior, he's going to save, but he's willingly going to the cross. And so for the Christian, where, where, where do we go with this? That's true of Jesus, but what does that have to do with us? Well, this is where the, that Easter, Easter mantra where, O oh death, is thy sting? Where, O oh death, is thy sting? It's defeated. There's no fear left. And what does that mean? That means for you and me. Think about it. Tease it out. If you think about what, are, what is Peter afraid of as he s- says, No, Jesus, you can't go to the cross. Death is the great end. That's what we're all elevating ourselves for. In the end, that's what it's about. It's about living. It's about fighting against death. And the trip to the grave, that's what self-elevation is about. What has happened? Jesus has defeated death. He's taken away its sting. Where, O death, is thy sting? It's not there anymore for the Christian. So self-evaluation for the Christian you know, is something where you should catch yourself in the middle of it, because we all do it. And your, your approach to a problem is to elevate yourself. And it should constantly be revealing itself for its emptiness And it's the complete ridiculousness of it. Now that the empty tomb is a part of your story. It's just such a broad disappointment once you know the gospel to attempt any sort of self-elevation in your life. Because you realize that if the sting of death is gone, then self-denial is absolutely not terrifying anymore. If the sting of death is gone, if Jesus has conquered the grave... If he is Christus Victor, and so we, you know, and not only that, but as we already mentioned, the um, sufficiency, you know, the the proverbial bank account of the Christian is overflowing and ready to be poured out into the lives of others, and death is absolutely no longer an issue. Your reserves are replete and spilling over. Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That is the chorus of the Christian who knows God through Jesus Christ. It's overflowing. And then there's absolutely nothing to fear. Death no longer has any control over you. So I hope that connects a little bit. Part of me was, as, as the questions came, or the answers that you guys gave last week to the question of the week, as those came in, part of me felt like, um, well, this is a group that's doing okay, doesn't need any more sermons, you know? I mean, really, it was like, it was this encouraging thing, especially we're celebrating City Life's birthday. Like, wow, look at what God has put in people's lives. So I'm going to name a few more of these and then pray. What, is, what does it mean to go from blank to blank to be a Christian? From being alone to being known. From being arbitrary to being pers- purposeful. Anxious fear to love and grace. Self-actualization to other-centered community. McDonald's to Geno's East. That was really one of them. This one as well. From, and get ready for your response. I hope you respond appropriately. From giants to cubs. Oh, it was you, David. I never would have guessed. From disparity to hope. From anxiety. Is anybody anxious this morning? From anxiety to peace. From unwanted to loved from condemnation to forgiveness. Will you pray with me? Our God of grace, thank you for your grace that is so abounding and, and fills us so much more than we realize. May you help us to know it, make it come alive. Those of us who find ourselves to have gone dull on your love for it, maybe it was seemed more real at one time long ago. And those of us who maybe just have never quite broken through, we don't even You know, we don't call ourselves a Christian. We're not sure what we believe about this stuff. We're just here for some reason. Help all of us to meet you for who you are. Will you do the work in our hearts, in our lives, through our circumstances, to make your grace become real and be helpful in our lives and putting us back together and filling us as we walk around this world with, with emptiness. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.